I don't know that we're capable of being honest uh, in this country anymore. Uh, I, I I would like to I would like to think so, but I'm not sure. David Brooks has an op-ed out in in the New York Times. Hey, let me read you a quote. He just actually pushed it out on social media. The anti-Trump echo chamber is becoming a mirror image of Trump himself, overwrought, uncalibrated, and incapable of having an intelligent conversation about any complex policy problem. Um, maybe so. And now I I say this and welcome by the way uh, i should start here at this point welcome it is eric erickson atlanta's evening news on wsb the phone number is wait no it's not atlanta's evening that's y'all i have done this all week i apologize i do have another show and it is in the evenings and it is atlanta's evening news but that's not this show this is my own show the eric erickson show and it's a morning show not an evening show it, it is listen it's a friday that is drunk and thought it was monday uh, that that's not me friday itself we actually got up this morning <laughs> say to me oh my gosh no <laughs> y'all seriously uh, we, we've hit peak teenager in our house whereas we're headed to bed last night the teenager says we're out of bread i ate the bread well you're thinking well make her start it but the problem is it's not hers it's her, her brother so i had to at midnight last night decide do i want to go to ghetto kroger and get mugged in the parking lot or do i want to wait for Publix to get up this morning and i wound up stewing over that Got up this morning, had to scramble around. I'm still behind in show prep because I had to go buy bread so that the 11-year-old would have a sandwich for lunch at school today because the 14-year-old ate all the bread. It's just one of those days. You'll have to bear with me. We'll get through this together. The phone number here on The Eric Erickson Show, if you would like to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Listen, y'all, I just keep it real. Now, this has been, the reason I say we can't actually have a, a nonpartisan conversation here is not me, and it's probably not most of you listening. Uh, we should be capable of having a conversation that recognizes some facts uh, that uh, people don't want to actually give credit for. But it is a fact. We have the jobless economy report right now. Uh, they were expecting 160,000 jobs to be created. Uh, what was created was uh, 145,000 jobs. The unemployment rate is holding steady at 3.5%. Uh, there are a record number of Americans working, and this is actually a good thing. We've got record unemployment. We have record, uh, we, we, we've got record growth in the stock market. 401ks are doing well. I don't know about your 409. I, I assume your 409, if you've got one, is, is doing well as well. The president killed the number one bad guy on the planet. The Iranian response to it is functionally impotent. And I, I'm, I'm assuming... I am assuming that people are going to be able to, oh, who am I kidding? They're not going to be able to give the president credit for this. This was a really good week for the president of the United States. It was a really good week for the president. It is a, it is a week where the president of the United States was able to come out and look like a statesman. The president of the United States was able to come out and say, hey, we, we got rid of the guy who is destabilizing the Middle East. 
the Iranian response was they they literally pounded sand. Uh, the Iranians sent 15 missiles, four broke apart in air, a fifth exploded or landed and broke up without exploding. Ten of them landed at, at Al-Assad Air Base. There was no loss of life. They literally blew up sand dunes. There were a couple of pieces of infrastructure that were uh, vacant that were blown up. The Iranians have now come out and said, oh, we meant to do that. We, we meant to blow up sand dunes. The Iranians, we now know, shot down uh, Ukraine's airline. And the media pivot is awfully gross. The media pivot is to attack and say that President Trump caused the plane to go down. Y'all, this is this is actually pretty striking. Uh, Donald Trump caused climate change to commit 200-plus acts of arson in Australia. Donald Trump caused the Iranians to shoot down a commercial jetliner. And Donald Trump apparently is to blame for the movie Cats. I mean, he's got to be. It's that awful. Surely he's to blame for the movie Cats as well. The, uh, y'all. And now you know what the media is outraged about? Let, let me play you. Let, let me reroute my sound here to make sure you're going to be able to hear this audio. I want to play you. The, the Donald Trump, we've got lots of lines from the rally last night. But I want to play you this particular soundbite that has the media apoplectic about Donald Trump this morning. This is the latest thing they're complaining about. Listen to, to the president of the United States. But they want to have open borders. They want to have sanctuary cities. The radical Democrats have never been more extreme than they are right now. They are stone cold crazy. You know, it's interesting, as I'm saying this stuff, you know, they want crime, they want chaos. I'm saying all this stuff, and then I say, gee, now I sort of understand why they hate me, right? <laughs> but it's true, it's true. Their policies are a disaster. They're bad politicians, and they have horrible policies. But what they do, they stick together, and they're vicious. They're vicious, horrible people. I didn't used to say that. They're horrible people. What they do to people, is a disgrace, but they stick together. Now, the Republicans, thank you very much. The Republicans, my man, the Republicans, we were 196 to nothing in the House, and I have a feeling the Senate's going to be great also. 196 to nothing, and we took in three Democrats. That was the president speaking at his rally last night. The media is upset. He called the Democrats vicious, horrible people. Where was the media when Hillary Clinton was calling Trump's voters deplorable? Where, where, where was the media? Because I, I distinctly remember um, the media talking about it, but not with sustained outrage. The president of the United States tells people the Democrats are vicious, horrible people, and that's all the media wants to talk about this morning. Do you know why it's all the media? Well, they want to talk about Megxit, too. Uh, Meghan Markle, Harry, uh, Prince Harry, leaving Britain, uh, big, big, you know, we fought a revolution show, so we wouldn't have to care about these people, and every American seems to care about them. But uh, the media wants to talk about that, and they want to talk about the president calling Democrats vicious, horrible people in a way they never wanted to talk about the Democrats calling Trump voters deplorable. Yes, I'm talking fast. I'm wound up. I'll slow down. That's what they want to fixate on today because they can't fixate on the last week. They, they can't really talk about the last week to the extent they talk about the last week. 
they've got to now blame the president of the United States for taking down an airliner that he had nothing to do with. They've, they've got to try to find something to blame the president about because he had a really, really good week. He had a really good week. He got rid of the strategic genius behind Iran's advancement in the Middle East. The Iranians responded impotently. And we've got jobs numbers today that we have record employment in this country. That's really good. That's really good. And yet the media can't bring themselves to say it. The The media at this point is completely polluted with partisans against the president. You know, my morning piece, let, let me, I, I had a moment of brilliance yesterday. Yeah, I, I, it is rare, y'all, it is rare for me. Uh, you know, I, I have hit 44 and, and dad brain and getting old and and firing on all these cylinders. It, it's, it's, listen, I had a moment of brilliance yesterday. Let me, let me share with you some of my moment of brilliance. In the modern era, it is difficult to come up with an administration that has spent as much energy trying to sabotage its successor in office. Obama administration officials have worked tirelessly, tirelessly to embed themselves into media outlets as supposedly objective voices. After the president oversaw the killing of Iranian jewelry Qasem Soleimani, and as missiles fell from the night sky into Iraq and Iran, or into Iraq from Iran, those voices took to the airwaves to push the Obama line against President Trump. In the American media, with help from former Obama staffers, Trump was the bad guy, Iran was the good guy, Iran de-escalated tensions, Trump made things worse. On CNN alone, you had Jim Scudo of the Obama administration sitting as an objective news anchor. CNN also now, by the way, has Valerie Jarrett's daughter, Laura, in an anchor chair. They had hired her as a Department of Justice um, uh, reporter. They've now booted a guy in the morning named Dave Briggs, who was awesome, and they put her in his chair. The, the white guy got booted out so Valerie Jarrett's uh, daughter could get his position. Uh, and, and so now she's on the early morning show as a news anchor. Cause you know, we, 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 CNN's got to have diversity now, but they've all got to be Obama voices and he didn't work for Obama and his mom didn't work for Obama. So he had to be canned so we could get an Obama surrogate in the anchor chair at CNN. We've now got two people with direct ties or indirect ties to the Obama administration who are in anchor chairs at CNN. They, they can toss to uh, news analysts who also work for Barack Obama and ask them, hey, how, how what did things do? And, and obviously, orange man bad. You've got James Clapper of the Obama administration pretending to be a straight news national security analyst for CNN. I mean, it makes me want to bring back Baghdad Bob. Now, when I was a kid, we you had the Americans invaded Iraq. Or Iraq. Uh, when was no? This was this would have been this was the George Bush Iraq War. So I was I was growing up at this time. But there was Baghdad Bob. Baghdad Bob was the uh, Iraqi press guy for Saddam Hussein. And Baghdad Bob would hold these bizarre press conferences every day where he was would say that they, they have the American swine, they've surrounded the American swine, they have destroyed an entire division of Americans. We shot them as they jumped out of planes from the sky. Their dead bodies littered the ground as they fell. We blew up uh, stealth bombers, he would say. He would bring out these things and he would show this is from the stealth bomber we shot down, and it was it was not. 
uh, literally as the Americans are moving tanks into the streets of Baghdad, Baghdad Bob is having a press conference saying the Americans have been destroyed. The Iraqis are declaring victory. The war is over. Literally, I mean, that's it. And, and that guy was more credible than James Clapper. Newsweek actually reported last week, James Clapper, this is a direct quote, James Clapper, the former director of national intelligence, has urged Americans to be skeptical of President Donald Trump's justification for the assassination of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. Meanwhile, the New York Times reports the CIA director, who Clapper supported, quote, had advised Mr. Trump that the threat the Iranian general presented was greater than the threat of Iran's response if he was killed, according to current and former former American officials. Indeed, Ms. Haspel had predicted the most likely response would be a missile strike from Iran to bases where American troops were deployed, the very situation that appeared to be playing out. So who do we believe? The CIA director or the people ideologically dedicated to protecting Barack Obama's precious Iran deal. In fact, whether you're watching the Obama team anchor CNN or mouth off on MSNBC or provide supposedly objective news analysis, it's striking how much they deny reality. The, the whole idea that uh, Iran was somehow able and capable of doing all this without that money that we gave them. The fact is uh, their attack was functionally impotent, but it could not have, they couldn't have fueled the missiles had Barack Obama not given them $155 million, we gave them that money. In 2015, in defense of the deal, Secretary of State John Kerry told CNBC some of Iran's money would go to terrorist groups. Here's a direct quote from John Kerry in 2015. I think that some of it will end up in the hands of the IRGC or other entities, some of which are labeled terrorists. You know, to some degree, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every component of that can be prevented, Kerry said. The IRGC is the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. Soleimani was in charge of the Quds Force connected to it, and the Iranians used the money Barack Obama sent them to fund the terrorists. They funded the IEDs with it. They funded the militias. They funded the missiles. And now Obama reporters, Obama surrogates, Obama loyalists, they're on TV shaping the news, telling you what to believe and telling you what to think, telling you what is the news and telling you what isn't the news. They anchor the news desk. They serve as the purported objective analysts. You've got the Obama loyalist as the news anchor talking to the Obama loyalist as news analyst about what happened. And guess what? Orange man bad is the entire thing. The president of the United States killed Iran's top man. The Iranians couldn't respond functionally to it. And the jobs report is good. Unemployment is a record low. Jobs are record high. The stock market is record high, and all the media can do is pivot to try to find something to complain about the president. Oh, and by the way, Nancy Pelosi's impeachment is starting to fall apart. After weeks of everyone saying Nancy Pelosi is a strategic genius, it's beginning to fall apart. Even Democrats in the House are starting to say there's a problem. Even Democrats are coming out saying, no, we shouldn't curtail the president's abilities to fight with this war power resolution. Y'all, it's been a good week for the president. Whether you like him or not, be intellectually honest enough to give him credit for a good week. Be intellectually honest enough to recognize it was Iran that shot down a jetliner, not the president of the United States. There are times where I complain about Republicans not being intellectually honest. They're not willing to acknowledge that the president did something wrong. And some of you will, in the course of the history of this program, get mad at me for saying that. But I think 
if you surrender your intellectual honesty, you and I may disagree about outcomes. We may look at things and, and look the same way, but look at them differently, see the same facts and interpret them differently. And that's fine. But it's really, really, really hard to surrender all honesty and every sense of humility just to wage partisan warfare just designed to get yourself back in power. And that's where we are with the left today, which I guarantee you is going to try to find something to distract from the fact that it's been a really good week for the president of the United States. I really do like his opinion on things. Eric Erickson, the information you need and the truth you demand. He tells it like it is. Live every weekday. I, I, I promise I haven't been passively aggressive with the pound cake recipe that I promised like three days in a row I would send out. I know. Listen, I'm sorry. Life gets in the way sometimes. Life gets in the way. Um, I, I will get it to you, though. Uh, I, I want to play some audio for you. This is... Uh, Katie Simpson. She's with Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Let's start with the Canadians. We'll move to the Americans. I think a significant question that Canadians, particularly the families of these victims, are going to have is, um, are 63 Canadians dead because of the the unintended consequences uh, of a decision made by the U.S. president? And, and that's going to be a big question because there have been very significant questions and concerns raised here in Washington about why the United States decided to act. Why did it decide to kill Iran's top general when it did? The United States top officials in the Trump administration have publicly said there was, uh, there was evidence that showed uh, General Soleimani posed an imminent threat to American lives. However, lawmakers, particularly Democrats, have come forward to say the information they have been provided on a top secret basis uh, does not satisfy the questions they have, does not answer the questions about, okay, what was that imminent threat? Why did you decide to do this? What exactly was at risk? Who was exposed? Why did the Trump administration decide to make this move? Now, because, of course, the consequences uh, many had feared in the United States and around the world, those consequences would be quite significant. You just heard a Canadian reporter essentially blame Donald Trump for this. Listen to Chris Cuomo's discussion on CNN. The ability to escape responsibility uh, for this. There's this suggestion, oh, they'll probably blame the United States. Well, how? Forensically, are you going to be able to determine where these missiles came from if they let the NTSB in on the investigation, as has been ping-ponged back and forth? The latest word is that Iran would let uh, Boeing, the manufacturer, have a representative there, which may well be an NTSB uh, rep to go. Would you be able to rule out that this was anybody but them? And then how do you escape responsibility? Well, you would be able to, to rule out who it wasn't. Right. I don't know if you'd say who it was or why they did what they did. But it's definitely we can do rebuilds. If you remember the MH17 uh, accident, that was that was a different missile. It was the I believe it was the MR56 uh, boot missile. But that was a different set. It was much more sophisticated. But at the same time, we were able to reconstruct it, show exactly where those penetrations went in, where they came from. And in fact, we know that it was three meters from the cockpit when that explosion happened and sending shrapnel into the airplane. So from this, we can take that shrapnel, take that aircraft and those pieces and do a reconstruction, find out nearly exactly where it, where it exploded and the direction and which way it came from. 
So the facts will show who has to own this, whether it will be owned and what it means going forward. We're going to take up later in the show. But it's not in dispute at this point that the Iranians are the ones who launched the missiles to shut it down. The United States did not blow up an airliner. But if you listen to most of the press coverage, you would think Donald Trump is personally responsible for blowing up a Ukrainian airliner leaving Iran, which is absolutely not true. Trump derangement syndrome is polluting the press. All righty. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. I've got joining me on the phone, assuming this is working because I'm routing it myself since my call screener is killing hogs. I've got Chris Burns on the phone with me. How are you? I'm fantastic, Eric. How are you, sir? I am great. I I wanted to get you on the phone. I'm glad I can do this. Y'all, I'm literally routing my cell phone by Bluetooth to the mixer in the studio on my own on the fly because... I got a call screener hog hunting. Now, I I wanted to get you on. Chris Birds, not only guest host, but the head of Dynamic Money. Uh, This jobs report, not the 160,000 that uh, statisticians and all were expecting, but still really good. Still really solid. And much of what we've seen, honestly, for the last number of years, which is, I mean, we're, we're breaking records, obviously. It's 10 years now of consecutive job growth, which is the longest we've ever seen since they've been tracking this for 80 years, over double the longest of the previous record, unemployment, the lowest, uh, you know, since the Vietnam War. Um, Really everything points towards things are going really well. The one kind of confusing point, and economists have been talking about this for years, it, it doesn't make any sense to anyone, is that wage growth has been somewhat stagnant. We've seen a little bit of wage growth for low-income earners, but really beyond that, not a lot. And it doesn't make sense because when you have this reduced labor pool because unemployment is so low, that drives competition. Competition usually drives up wages. Um, But we're not seeing that. And so that's probably the only point in the report that's confusing in the midst of overall what looks very, very strong. Yeah, that is in in the free market. It does seem to be that. I mean, we hear these reports, and in fact, I guess we're we're seeing that story now that even Taco Bell is having to pay some managers of stores now upwards of a hundred thousand dollars in some markets. So, and and the minimum wage does seem to be rising, but it 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 really isn't what a lot of people have expected. That is kind of weird. Yeah, and it goes across the board to inflate. It's the same conversation about inflation. But literally, no one really understands why inflation hasn't been going up because, it, 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 according to traditional economics, it should be. Um, some of the reasons given would be there's pressure, and you know you have the the, the, the kind of un, unease and unrest that companies feel about uh, not wanting to put a lot more money out because of economic pressures, geopolitical pressures, the trade war with China. And you have to remember these job reports are actually based on surveys that are done um, earlier in the month. And so when the surveys, the the numbers we're looking at now were done before the USMCA, kind of NAFTA 2.0 was passed. They were done before the phase one China deal was agreed. Um, So it, it may end up next month, we'll get an annual review that'll be much more specific. And it may end up that December looks a lot better than we expected because of some of these things that have caused people to take a deep breath and calm down a little bit. Um, but again, nobody could look at this and say, wow, this is awful. There's, there's fantastic, consistent, solid growth in the U.S. economy, and that should give, on a practical level for me and you, give us a lot of confidence because the driving force of our economy is the American consumer, 
And with that many Americans employed, that says really good things about where we're going. Well, in, in uh, on that point, <laughs> let's just go there because we, we also know human nature and oftentimes human nature is when things have been going well for so long uh, that people start to think, oh, gosh, something bad must be about to happen. That uh, I, I hear all the time my, my theology friends say, you know, Christianity has no concept of karma, but our brains seem to, to have it uh, wired into us that when things are going well, something bad must be about to happen. Well, sure. That's why all year long, I was. it was amazing to me reading articles in really well-known publications, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, that would not op-ed pieces, journal, you know, actual straight journalistic pieces that would say with no hint of irony, the coming recession, the coming downturn, um, you know, that it's imminent, that it's going to be here soon, with really no, nothing, no evidence to back that up, honestly, except for what you just said, if we really get under the surface, just this feeling that, well, this can't last forever. Right. Job growth can't last forever. The economic strength can't last forever. And, and that's true. But again, we're already double the length of the last record on job growth. Even when you look at the bull market, even though it's the longest bull market in history, there's nothing saying it can't go five more years, but it might only be five months. And that uncertainty kills us. We hate uncertainty. So we want to edge towards something that we can feel some sort of belief in. And for a lot of people, it's edging towards, well, something terrible is about to happen because we've had so much good that bad's on its way. But there's really no evidence of that at this point. Well, and uh, yeah, by, by all signs, I mean, the, the evidence is, as you were saying, things things continue, even with the tariffs and, and trade turmoil and everything else, we're, we're doing kind of good as a nation, actually doing better, relatively speaking, than a lot of other countries out there in the West. Yeah, and this really impacts regular people. And here's how it impacts you. If you're someone right now, I probably had five different people who came into my office last month who were laid off in the month of December, which I think is just horrific, right? It's the worst time for that to happen. Um, but they came in and every time their tendency would be to go, I just got to go get work. I got to go find something, whatever it is, seasonal work, anything. And I had to remind them that we are sitting at the best possible time ever in the history of recording this and for finding a job. And so if you're someone out there that's either right now laid off or you're underemployed, you're not getting paid what you think you should be paid, um, now there's never been a better time to say, to look around and try to find a different position because companies are looking. They can't find people. They can't find skilled workers. And so even if the overall wages trend isn't great and we're concerned about why is that true overall, on a micro level, in an individual case, now is the best possible time to go out and say, hey, look, I have skills. I should be getting paid better for these skills because this won't last forever. So I would say to people, take advantage of this. This is not normal. Just like interest rates, just like mortgages right now are, are insanely low again. That's not going to last forever. So capitalize on it. Well, thank you for helping me capitalize on the on the low interest rates for mortgages as well. Um, <laughs> I, I'm enjoying my refinance and my lower house payment. Hey, I got to ask you this too. As, as exciting as uh, the job numbers are, 1917 comes out today, right? This movie. Oh man, yes, it comes out uh, nationwide today. You and I need to go see that movie. 
Yeah, about to say we can talk about job numbers, but that looks amazing. The, the, looks, for yeah. those of you who don't know what this is, this is a movie that is designed to to make it look like it's a single take of a guy running through the battlefields of Europe. The reviews are incredible. I know several people who saw it. Uh, it technically came out Christmas Day, uh, but right. nationwide comes out today. And I, I have not heard a single bad thing from a single person about this movie. We're, we're totally going to have to go see it. Yeah, I to- agreed, and that directly relates to job growth, obviously, is why I brought it up. So, <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. We, 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 will, we will totally go create jobs for the people at the theater serving as popcorn. That's right. I feel great about that. All right. Uh, but no, I think, I think people should feel good. There's good things happening. The economy is solid, and honestly, again, now is the time for regular consumers to take advantage of this because it won't last forever to jump on it. Yeah, I totally agree. And and if people want to come to you to to talk about it, to talk about their their life plan with their finances, paying off their debts, refinancing their homes, where do they go to to talk to you? Yeah, they can just go to dynamicmoney.com and they can uh, join us. They can sign up for a newsletter there um, or they can come in for a free consultation, but it's just dynamicmoney.com. And I have to say this, this Sunday, we start our new show at 2 p.m. on WSB, if you're someone that listens to that. And we have a really remarkable first guest is going to be joining us, um, Eric himself. So if you want to hear more of Eric. Nobody wants to hear more of me. Now, wait wait a second, (laughs) though. You've also let us promote your podcast here before you get out of here. You you got a podcast. Is it can people just search the podcast uh, store for like uh, dynamic money? Yeah. If you look up dynamic money anywhere, you'll see it. We have a podcast. We have over. 200 episodes out, but um, I'm excited because as we launch this new show, Sundays at 2, we'll have podcast extras, basically. So, for instance, you're going to be on the show this Sunday, but we'll have a lengthier interview with you that's just released in the podcast. So, if people want to hear that, again, just search Dynamic Money on any of your favorite podcast spots, and you'll find it, and you can listen to my beautiful voice as much as you want. (laughs) Yeah, and mine this Sunday. Chris Burns, thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Eric. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Uh, Chris Burns, Dynamic Money. In, in all seriousness, uh, he, he just full disclosure here, in addition to being a guest host, Chris actually uh, is my wife's and my finance guy, too. Um, yeah, I have a finance guy. You can, too. And by finance guy, I mean, uh, I, I, I used to have the ability to be really good at balancing my checkbook and and paying bills and and coming up with a game plan for how we were going to pay off debts. And at some point, I I guess that part of my brain broke as I was trying to figure out how to build a radio show. And we were headed down the path of doing the Dave Ramsey thing. And and several people, I didn't know Chris at the time, but several people who I know who I worked with said, you know, instead of doing that, why don't you talk to this guy, Chris Burns? He actually has a show on on my Atlanta affiliate. And I did, we hit it off. He's great. And he, he basically does takes you through one-on-one he and his team, the, the same ways of learning how to budget and learning how to pay off debt and, and all that. Um, so he's great. Uh, and, he, and he's local. And if you want to go to dynamicmoney.com, uh, he's also got to be a good friend. Uh, in fact, he was at my house last night. We were recording the podcast, uh, for his show, um, which you can, you can listen to now. Uh, I want to let me go on because it's kind of an awkward transition to go from the economy into this uh, Ukrainian jet situation. And I I want to talk a little bit more about that. You need to hear some of the audio that's out there about it. We also need to get into the president's rally. Uh, there is news out of Georgia as well. Kelly Leffler has signed on to a number of uh, pro-life measures 
in the U.S. Senate. Uh, she's hiring her staff. The Speaker of the House has decided to uh, pontificate on gambling, that the voters should decide. He has hired someone who got indicted in Alabama in a gambling scandal, uh, which is probably, again, a tone-deaf, boneheaded mood. But then that move, that's the Speaker of the House, though. we got a lot of other stuff to get into here. But uh, bottom line on the economy, 145,000 jobs added in December. That may be revised up. Uh, the jobs in Georgia, just so you know, we have now still record low unemployment in Georgia. Record low unemployment, record high job rates, employment rates in Georgia. Uh, which is really, really good. And let's, if we're honest about it, uh, our elected officials don't necessarily deserve a ton of credit, but they will. And so that's good for the president and good for Brian Kemp. Want to be on the show? Call Eric now at 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. A lot of questions from people this morning on what is a non-binding resolution. The House of Representatives passed a resolution, uh, a war powers resolution, uh, urging the president not to engage in further hostilities and disapproving of his strike on Soleimani. Uh, House Democrats uh, also want to pass a resolution, and it's non-binding. So what's the difference uh, between the two? Well, a, a resolution can have the force of law, but a resolution that has the force of law has to have legal language in it uh, compelling uh, someone to either do something or refrain from doing something and has to be passed by both houses of Congress. The non-binding resolution from the House uh, was just a sense of the House saying we, we, orange man bad essentially is is what it said. And so it has no force of it has no weight of law, no rule of law, nothing like that. And so that's all you need to know. Now, Mark Meadows, uh, the who the outgoing chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, he took to the floor of the House and had some choice words on this issue. Nonetheless, for yielding, I never thought that I would hear on this House floor an apology to the Iranian people for an action that we took that was justified taking out our terrorists. I cannot believe it. And yet we just heard that on this House floor. We have a gentleman who gave his legs in service to this country, and yet we're apologizing to the Iranians? With a non-binding resolution that is nothing more than a press release, Madam Speaker, it has no effect. It doesn't do anything. In fact, the Supreme Court says that. They know that. All they're doing is trying to get a press release to keep them from having a primary opponent. This is sad, a sad, sad day. And yet here we are having another speech to try to take on the President of the United States for actually taking out a terrorist. I would ask my colleagues opposite, how many Americans does a terrorist have to kill before they join with us? Is 600 not enough? Does it have to be a thousand, ten thousand, a million? At some point, we have to stand up and let the long arm of justice go in and take out these terrorists. I'm here to tell you today that this non-binding resolution, indeed, they want to talk about their constitutional requirement. Well, check with the Supreme Court. In 1983, they ruled that this has no effect. At least our senators opposite, they know that. It has to be a joint resolution. And yet... What is this vehicle normally designed for? For soapbox derbies. Well, at least that accomplishes something. All this does is emboldens our enemies 
to suggest that the American people are divided. But I'm here to tell you that we are not divided. We are a safer country because of the actions of this president, the decisive actions of this president in our military. And more importantly than that, this War Powers Act that got passed, it was a message that came out of a difficult time. But I want the message to be clear today. We are standing behind our military men and women. We have their back and we will not yield. Amen to that. Yeah, people say, oh, that's so much. Listen to Chris Matthews on, um, on CNBC discussing the death of Soleimani. What we should have done, I go back to the congressman on this. You know, when some people die, we, you know, um, you don't know what the impact's going to be. When Princess Diana died, for example, there was a huge emotional outpouring. Uh, these kinds, we, Elvis Presley in our culture. It turns out that this general he killed was a beloved hero of the Iranian people to the point where look at the people we've got pictures of now. These enormous crowds coming out. There's no American emotion in this case, but there's a hell of a lot of emotion on the other side. Should our leaders know what they're doing when they kill somebody? Uh, so Soleimani dying is equivalent to the death of Elvis or Princess Diana. Listen to Congresswoman Jackie Spear on Thanks CNN. Thanks so much for joining us. And I want to start uh, with this plane crash. Uh, have you been briefed on it? Because it certainly sounds like it was a mistake by the Iranians. Do you think they assumed this was some sort of U.S. military plane? Well, I have been briefed on it, Wolf, in the Intelligence Committee, so I'm not really at liberty to say. But uh, if what is being projected is true, uh, this is yet another example of collateral damage from the actions that have been taken in a provocative way by the President of the United States. So it's his fault. It is his fault. Well, I, I want to play you more of this. Uh, this again, uh, Congresswoman Spear, very anti-Republican, anti-Donald uh, Trump, on with Wolf Blitzer on CNN. Have you been briefed on it? Because it certainly sounds like it was a mistake by the Iranians. Do you think they assumed this was some sort of U.S. military plane? Well, I have been briefed on it, Wolf, in the Intelligence Committee, so I'm not really at liberty to say. But uh, if what is being projected is true... Uh, this is yet another example of collateral damage from the actions that have been taken in a provocative way by the President of the United States. Well, is this type of miscalculation, let's say, on the part of the Iranians, more likely now to result in even heightened tensions? I would say that the uh, continued saber, excuse me, the, the continued saber rattling by the President uh, doesn't help us. Um, I also feel strongly that by taking out General Soleimani, that that did not somehow uh, rid us of any of the planning that the Iranians would be doing or that the Shia militia that is um, throughout the region uh, is also engaged in doing. And we also have the, the leader of the Shia militia who was assassinated as well that uh, may be the subject of some efforts to seek revenge. Uh, this needs to be de-escalated. The president needs to stop saber-rattling. He needs to find a way to um, use our allies to find a, a means by not just tamping this down, but getting uh, Iran to the table where we can renegotiate a joint um, agreement on the use of nuclear weapons and uh, move forward in a manner that is, is not as 
uh, bellicose as the president has been as he addresses Iran. Iran has been a bad actor. Soleimani was a bad actor. But there are many people in that region and around the world that are bad actors. We have to find a way to live together um, and attempt to move towards peace. We did that. We killed Soleimani, who was one of the chief people responsible for there not being peace in the Middle East. You know, what is striking, and I, I got hate mail yesterday after this program. I, I actually did. Yes, I did get hate mail after this program yesterday because I said something that really made a couple of people mad. It was more than one person, and I clearly incited people for saying this. And, and it's a it's actually a true statement. It is a statement of fact that Donald Trump is the first president in the 21st century to not start a war in the Middle East, in North Africa. That's actually a statement of fact. George W. Bush went to war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Barack Obama went to war in Libya and committed troops to Syria. Now, you may not like that I point that out, but it's a statement of fact that this president has not started wars. You all thought he was going to start a war last week. The number of people on television who were saying this was going to start World War III and it didn't. I mean, these people should never be listened to again. The number of people who were com- committed to the idea that he was going to start World War III, don't listen to him again. And he hasn't. And the fact that I got hate mail for pointing that out from people who think I'm delusional, no, it's actually a statement of fact. It is a statement of fact. And I, y'all, it... Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing. When we come back, the president had a big rally last night. I've got lots of audio I want to walk through. We've got Georgia news we need to talk about as well. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. I I had to pause there. Y'all, in my first hour this morning, I started by giving you the name of my evening show instead of this show and proceeding to give everyone my cell phone number as the call. It it is... (laughs) This is the first full week back at work. At least it's a Friday, TGIF. Um, The phone number here is not my cell phone number or my evening show number. It is actually 877-973-7425. And uh, you can't actually call in because my call screener is hog hunting. Uh, but if you call in, I have voicemail. You can leave voicemail. If you need to leave a message, we, we'll listen to it and play it on the air if you don't suck. <laughs> uh, breaking news happening right now. Uh, as of 50 seconds ago, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has hit 29,000 for the first time ever. That is, let's see, let me let me do a uh, let me do a cross the board check here. We've got uh, weather wise. No, let me put it. I've got three screens I'm looking at. Let me put it on this one. Uh, we have weather wise at this moment. Uh, it is uh, 57 in Adairsville, 54 in Athens, 57 Blue Ridge, 54 Carrollton, 52 Clarksville, 57 Dalton, 64 Eastman, 55 Jasper, 55 Rome, 66 Valdosta, 64 Vidalia. That should cover pretty much everyone. Oh, and here in Macon, it is 59 degrees where I am. And right now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is at 29,003.5. 
a record for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. If you were here in the first hour, Chris Byrne said he thought we may see this. Given the jobs numbers, the jobs numbers, if you haven't heard, 145,000 jobs created, uh, 145,000 jobs created. That is less than they were originally thinking, but we're still at full employment in this country. Uh, unemployment is at 3.5%. We've actually seen a spike in the number of people who have gotten back into the workforce. Uh, the United States is now 75% employed, which is actually up from the 60s. A lot of people who decided to retire or just give up on get, getting work have come back into the workforce. There were some concerns that we would see a spike in the rate of unemployment because those people came back in, but they all found jobs. So it is, it, it's good. It, it's, it's actually, we've got really good numbers. Um, I, I got to tell you, if this was a Democratic president and we had the news today on the stock market and we had the news today on, um, and we had the news today on, on the jobs, the media would be beside themselves, uh, excited, but because it's Donald Trump, they're actually not super excited and they're not really talking about it. And just ask yourself, just ask yourself, if you're a fair, fair-minded person, ask yourself, if the Dow Jones hit a record high and we were at full employment in this country under Barack Obama, what would the media say? Well, as a matter of fact, we know, uh, because when unemployment started going down after the Great Recession of 2008 uh, into 2010, 2011, when the economy started doing better and the Dow Jones started going back up, the media was breathlessly covering it on a daily basis with all sorts of excitement. And now they can't because Orange Man bad and they can't give the president credit because they are involved in trying to uh, destroy the president of the United States. Um, you know, give the president enough room and he's going to say something that undermines himself. And right now the media is not even doing that. They are just rapidly, rapidly, uh, trying to go after the president himself. And that's actually making the president look good because so many people distrust the media in this country. It's fascinating. Now I need to pause here, uh, because I need to, uh, do an important, announcement for every single person listening to this program, wherever you are in the state of Georgia. Uh, those of you who are watching on Facebook Live, YouTube, Twitter, wherever, I apologize. If you're a national, I know we have somehow developed a national audience because I, I get emails from people around. Uh, but for those of you in Georgia, whatever station you are listening to my voice on right now, Please, seriously, uh, this this is not a promotion of your local radio station or whatnot. This This is actually serious. We are expecting a weather system to come into the state of Georgia overnight tonight, and it's going to be bad. Uh, they are starting to show, see meteorologists. I was talking to one this morning, and he said they're starting to see some signs of it uh, scaling back, that it's not going to be as strong as they were originally expecting. It slowed down. It lost some energy. But there is still a chance of uh, tornadoes and wind gusts and severe thunderstorms on Saturday afternoon. Uh, they will not know for sure the strength of this storm until it comes through, uh, and it's going to mostly affect people from Tifton North. Uh, Macon, for sure, is going to get rain. Uh, the further north you are, apparently it's going to be even stronger. So, for example, I, I'm looking uh, right now in, in Rome, it appears tomorrow there's going to be a 90% chance of 
thunderstorms, not just rain, but thunderstorms. In Macon right now where I am, uh, it is suggesting that the rain is going to start a little bit this evening, and there's a 50% chance of thunderstorms uh, that actually intensify over the next several days. Uh, North Georgia tends to have a 90% chance of rain and thunderstorms. You go to the east, like Clarksville, is going to have a 60% chance tomorrow. Uh, and then where is Athens in this list that I've got? Yeah, in Athens, a 60% chance. But uh, if you're in Jasper, if you're in Dalton, if you're in Rome, like Dalton, for example, has a 100% chance of uh, severe thunderstorms tomorrow. So just please stick with your local station wherever you are tomorrow. Uh, if you got satellite, the clouds are going to be so thick you're not going to be able to get TV. If you got batteries, put them in a radio uh, because the storms are coming. And they are expected to be very strong. And the further north in Georgia you are, the worse they're expected to be. So I, I just I, I want to make sure I put in that housekeeping note for you. I, I don't like to overhype weather. I don't do the weather for you unless there, there's something statewide. I'm not going to be on the radio tomorrow. But I, I really I, I, I feel very strongly with the meteorologist I've been talking to about the weather system that's coming in tomorrow. It's warm and pleasant today, and that just means we're going to get some terrible storms tomorrow. So be careful on the roads and make sure you're listening to your radio station that you can get when your satellite TV or your cable lines collapse. Now, we will move into other news. The president of the United States had a rally last night. Want to play some of the audio from his uh, him on the campaign trail. The White House has tried to get him out there more and do more rallies and begin to start shaping up the Democratic field. There is increasing confidence within the White House, you should know, among the political team. They actually do think now Joe Biden probably has a lock on the Democratic nomination. Uh, they're not yet addressing that. They're focusing on the other candidates, but increasingly it looks like even this now rise of Bernie Sanders, which we will get to here in a bit, uh, they, they think that it's probably going to wind up being, uh, Joe Biden. Now here's the president on the campaign trail, uh, last night at his rally. We have this tremendous military and you know what that is? That's really a great fighting force, but I hope we never have to use it. I really do. You saw an example. You saw an example of that a couple of days ago. So we seek friends, not enemies. But if you dare to threaten our citizens, you do so at your own grave peril. And this. The Green New Deal. That's a beauty. You know, it's amazing, though. I see this uh, congressman that's been there. He has white hair, beautiful white hair. Nope, it's not you. And he's with AOC. And he's saying, yes, we have to go with the Green New Deal. And I'm saying, is this guy for real? I don't know if he believes that he's been around for 20 years in Congress. I've seen him. I know him a little bit. And he's acting like he actually believes it. But we're going to just take our time and we're going to relax. And about three, four, you're going to join some rallies about a month before. You're going to hear the real facts. But I'm tired of talking them out of things 10 months before the election. Bernie Sanders' health care plan would cost over $32 trillion a year. That's more money than we make in five years. That's more money than we'll ever make. He is indeed crazy. No, no, he's... Oh, let me take that back. No, it's a great plan that we have to consider strongly. We have to consider his plan strongly. Now, see, I'll tell you what the fake news will do. 
They'll take my last words. It's a great plan. We have to consider it strongly. They'll cut everything out in the front, and they'll say, Donald Trump is in favor of Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. <laughs> they can do more with the tape than they can do with a newspaper. No, they'll do that. You'll see it somewhere. You'll see it. All. Trump supports his plan. <laughs> okay, can I can I be really honest with you guys when I do show, I, trust me, I am a professional. I do do this for a living, but I've gotten to the point where I don't actually listen to the president's sound bites before I play them. Normally, like for example, if I'm I'm playing I've got some clips here from uh Mark Meadows and from um Mike Pompeo and Don Lemon and I I listen to these clips when it comes to the president's clips, I no longer actually listen to the president's clips because I want to be as surprised and enjoy them and laugh along with them like the rest of you people are doing. <laughs> Here he is on, on killing Soleimani. So the foolish Iran nuclear deal financed Iranian aggression while allowing a quick path to nuclear breakout. That's what it did. And by the way, it expires so soon. They can have nuclear weapons. They're not, as I said before, they will not have nuclear weapons. By subsidizing Iran's malign conduct, the last administration was leading the world down the path of war. We are restoring our world to the path of peace. Peace through strike. Peace through strike. We got there very early. We saw what was happening. I saw what was happening. I said, what's that all about? And that was going to be another Benghazi. Had they broken through the final panels of glass, they were breaking it, breaking it. Had they gotten through, we would have had either hundreds of dead people or hundreds of hostages. That wasn't going to happen. And I called up our great generals. I said, get them over there now. And one of our leaders, one of our really admired people, said, Sir, we'll have them there tomorrow. I said, Nope, get in the planes right now, have them there immediately. And they got there immediately. The President of the United States speaking at his rally last night. Now, he did have a heckler show up. Actually, he had several hecklers show up. And uh, he decided to deal with them himself. Be waiting in line for four, five, six weeks. You couldn't see a doctor. Now, if you have to wait, you go out to a private doctor. You get yourself taken care of. We pay the bill. What a difference it's made. What a difference it's made. You know, when I was a little bit newer to this game... The heckling starts in the back, and the crowd decides to drown them out. That's okay. They got it. They go home to mommy. Going home to mommy. (laughs) They're going home to mommy. It's a beautiful sight. Thank you, security. Do we love law enforcement, by the way? 
You know what this reminds me of? Have you ever seen Army of Darkness? <laughs> That's it. Go ahead and run. Run home and cry to mama. <laughs> that, that <laughs> the president of the United States last night telling his hecklers, go home to mama. Go home to mama. Uh, security escorted them out so they could go home to mama. We got a little more uh, uh, rallying uh, that we should listen to some of his statements last night. We need to pivot into some Georgia news, though. You know, the legislature convenes beginning Monday. Uh, you got the legislature in session, uh, and you've got uh, David Ralston beginning to give interviews. You've got the Republican opposition to David Ralston beginning to fire up again. Uh, you've got uh, a lot of stuff happening in Atlanta and in Washington with Kelly Leffler, David Perdue, the House uh, Georgia delegation. You've even got the Georgia water wars with Florida and Alabama, or for, yeah, Florida and Alabama headed back to the Supreme Court. We'll get into lots of that when we come back. As both sides target Georgia for 2020, Eric gives you the new you need from a Georgia perspective. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The president uh, wanted to talk about the USMCA. Uh, you, you know, the, the House Democrats are now pressuring the Senate to get it passed. It looks like the Senate is going to pass it and the president will sign it. Uh, here's what he told the crowd last night. I immediately canceled the Obama administration's job-killing catastrophe, which would have dealt a death blow to the United States auto industry, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It was a disaster. That was going to be worse than NAFTA. NAFTA, I always say the worst deal. I think that would have been worse. It would have taken the car industry. It would have taken many of your industries. That was a setup for the United States to get fleeced. The USMCA will save the American auto industry and create over 100,000 new auto jobs, and our factories will not be closing and moving to other faraway lands. We'll keep them right here if that's okay. And that's going to include, because we take care of our great auto workers of Toledo, the home of Jeep. How good is Jeep? And uh, here's a little more. For decades, career politicians promised to defend the workers of Ohio. And then they went to Washington and voted for the same globalist policies that devastated your communities and chipped away your jobs. You know that better than anybody. Ohio knows that. But the betrayal of Ohio workers and U.S. workers ended the day I took the oath of office. And you see that because you're setting records. Ohio is going to be a big battleground for the president. So he's got this economic message. And, you know, you look at the jobs reports right now. Ohio is doing very, very well with his uh, with jobs and, and wages. Chris Burns was here at 930 this morning to talk about the jobs report. One of the things he noted is that economists are, are still scratching their heads. They don't have a real explanation for it. Why are the uh, why are wages largely stagnant? 
And why isn't inflation on the rise? And, and no one seems to have a good explanation for it uh, because we know enough about the way markets work and whatnot that they should be, in, inflation should be on the rise, wages should be on the rise, and they're not. Uh, but in some segments of the economy, wages are on the rise. In fact, in the service industry, and in fact, in the lower middle class, wages are rising more rapidly than anyone else, uh, which actually is a good thing. Unemployment has reached the lowest level in over 51 years. African-American, Hispanic-American, and Asian-American unemployment have all reached the lowest rates ever, ever, ever recorded. Wages are rising fast. They're going up very fast. And the biggest percentage increase makes me happy are for blue collar workers. It's true. The, the lower middle class, uh, blue collar workforce, it, it's it's great. Now, I will tell you in the jobs report, uh, this is starting to trickle out in the African-American media out there that uh, the unemployment rate for black men jumped from 5.1 to 5.8 percent from November to December. Uh, the shareholding jobs was steady at 64.6%. Here's what you need to understand as, as this becomes circulated as a hit against the president. Why did the unemployment rate for black men jump from 5.1% to 5.8%? Because they're coming back into the workforce trying to find jobs. That's actually really good. So what, what does this mean, actually? Uh, remember that uh, the workforce, the unemployment rate only considers people who are looking for jobs and a lot of people actually decided to sit it out because they couldn't find a job and a lot of the people in fact most of the people who decided to sit it out were in the minority community uh black or hispanic and when they come back in and decide they're going to try to find a job again it causes the unemployment rate in that demographic group to go up not because they didn't have a not because they lost their job, but because they didn't have a job and now they're trying to find one. They've come back in, so they're counted again as as unemployed. When you don't have a job and you're not looking for a job, you're not considered unemployed. When you don't have a job and you're looking for a job, you do. Well, these people are coming in now, starting to try to find jobs in the American economy, so they're counted as unemployed. So the black unemployment rate has gone up, not because people losing their jobs, but because people who didn't have one are now trying to find one. That's actually a really encouraging sign in the black community for President Trump that he should own. You know, I want to actually focus on that tagline here that we we played coming out of break uh, because I am serious about it and it, we are we're building a a statewide network of stations and we will actually have a few more stations coming on soon and there is strength in numbers our state legislature begins meeting on Monday it is an election year so they don't want to have a major controversial uh, legislative session. The governor has promised some things on, on gun legislation conservatives will like. Uh, there will be some spending issues. Uh, there's going They're going to try to put a, a gambling issue before the voters. Interestingly enough, the Speaker of the House saying the voters should vote on the gambling stuff has hired a guy to help keep the House who was indicted in Alabama for a, a legislative gambling corruption probe. Uh, the Speaker of the House in Georgia is the gift that just keeps on giving to the Democrats. It's almost like he wants the Republicans to lose seats in the House uh, because he knows that his strength these days is coming from the Democrats uh, backing him, not the Republicans. 
something's going to have to give on that front, and the Republicans are cowards and, and don't want to do it. But we've we've got the legislature coming, and one of the things that I do is, and some of you won't like it, and I just let me, we're, we're, we're growing our relationship together over these few months, and, and some of you aren't going to like this, but we are... Though I have global ambitions for this program, and we've got people who will tune in abroad, we've got people who tune in across the nation, and I focus a lot of time on Washington. When the Georgia legislature meets, because we are right now just in Georgia, I feel obligated to really cover what's going on in Georgia as much as I can. Uh, The big news comes out when the legislature is in session, and we should talk about it, but I don't believe in just talking about this stuff. Some of you, you just want to listen and you don't want to get involved. But a lot of you want solutions for fixing stuff. If there's a problem, you want a solution. Or if there's a problem, you want to get involved in trying to find the solution or get involved in in advancing your side. And I come from the world of activists. I was a I was a lawyer, but I got my start as a political activist. Uh, from political activism, I went to law school. I intended to, to get a job in Washington. I wound up actually practicing law here in Macon, where I am broadcasting. Uh, and then started running political campaigns through my law firm. Um, as part of my law firm, would represent clients, uh, did their campaign finance work, and would start running campaigns. I, I left the law firm, started working at redstate.com, turned it into the most influential writer center blog on Capitol Hill, was continuing to run campaigns and, and then helping conservatives and raising good conservatives up to get national exposure and helping fundraise for them. Uh, I just, my heart is that of an activist. And I know a lot of you that I come into contact with around the state, uh, wherever I am, uh, here in Macon, uh, in the line at the grocery store, or go up to, to Rome or go, go up to North Georgia, go to Athens. In fact, uh, if you're in Athens, I'm working on a time to speak to the college Republicans at the University of Georgia here uh, in the next couple of weeks. I'll let you know when that is. But my heart is that of an activist, and I know a lot of you want to take action where you can. And I want to make it easy for you to do as the legislature comes next week. I have a special email and text message list for people. If you're nationwide, do it as well, because when there are things in Congress, I, I send to this list as well. But particularly in Georgia, when the legislature meets next week, inevitably what happens is a lot of bad stuff comes out of the Republicans in the legislature and it needs to be stopped. And there are other good things that Republicans want to get passed. And it's some squishy Republicans who stop them. Take for example, school choice and school reform. The governor and Lieutenant governor last year had a brilliant plan that would provide money for parents to send their children to any school of their choice. School choice is an issue that has helped Republicans gain strength among black and Hispanic voters in Florida, in Arkansas, in Texas, and elsewhere. And it just seems to me that we should do it in Georgia. Whether you agree with demography as destiny or not, and I actually don't, there are a lot of Republicans who do. And... Those Republicans 
need to realize that if, if they think demography is destiny, then improving the lives of black and Hispanic children by letting them get a better education in a school of their choice would be a wise thing. And they don't necessarily uh, they, they don't necessarily realize that, and they should. For example, Butch Miller is the president pro tem in the Senate. Butch Miller from North Georgia, owns car dealership. Nice guy, by the way, nice, very nice guy. Butch Miller uh, scuttled school reform in the state legislature. It had the votes to pass in the House. And Butch Miller worked tirelessly in the Senate to kill school choice reform in the state Senate. And he did it on the spur of the moment. Jeff Duncan forced them to put it up for a vote anyway. Uh, that angered some of the Republicans. It angered in the Republicans because they don't like to. The, the tradition with Casey Cagle and the, the state legislature was that if there was a vote and you didn't think the Republicans had a majority support to, to pass it, you wouldn't put it to a vote because you didn't want to expose any of the Republicans. Jeff Duncan wanted to expose the Republicans who did not support school choice and school reform. And so he put it up for a vote. And he exposed a number of bad Republicans in the state Senate. Butch Miller being one of them. You have the power to call these people out. You have the power to demand action. You have the power to reach out to your state legislator and tell them you want school choice passed. You want school reform and the way you do that is real simple. I, I try to make it as simple as possible for you. I want you to get yourself, if you're not driving, don't don't text and drive. But if you've got a messaging app that can send SMS or uh, you got your cell phone, text the word ARMY to 33777. Text the word ARMY to 33777. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to get a text back asking for your email address. In fact, I'll do it with you right now uh, just so we can walk through the process together. So I'm going to text to the number 33777. I'm going to text the word ARMY. And in a minute, I got a text back and it says, So you want to join Eric's Army of Activists by text. Look like you're being all cool and techie. Reply with your email address to join. Eric at theresurgent.com. And now, boom, kazam, you've just joined the email list. Have a great day. That, that's, that's all it is. That took all of five, six seconds to do. Now, what happens with that? Well, when there is an action item in the Georgia legislature coming up next week, and for as long as they're meeting, if you need to weigh in on it, I have a brilliant activist system. And that brilliant activist system allows me to text you or email you a link. And when you click the link, it says, oh, you're coming from Macon, Georgia, or you're coming from Rome, or you're coming from Clarksville, or you're coming from Waycross. What's your actual zip code? And you'll give them your zip code. And it'll say, oh, well, then your state senator is 
John Kennedy or, or your state House member is Dale Washburn or your state senator is Butch Miller or your state House member is Wes Cantrell or, or whoever, wherever, who, who's, who's, you name it, wherever you are. And it'll say, click this link and you can call him right now. It's brilliant. I mean, literally, I can send you a text or an email and you click the link and it'll remember who you are and it'll say, hey, uh, Senator X or State Representative X is opposed to this really good idea. Click this link, call him right now and tell him to support it. And you click the link and by God, it calls him. And you'll hear my voice say, I'm going to connect you to your state senator or your state house member and you tell him to support House Bill 318 or Senate Resolution 5, whatever it is. And sure enough, you hear my voice. I tell you that. The phone rings and you have, this is State Senator so-and-so's office. How can I help you? And you tell them. Now, why? Here's what you need to understand about the way our state legislature in Georgia works. Our state legislature in Georgia works very hard to keep you from being able to contact your state legislature legislator during the session. It becomes really hard for you to contact them during the session, and that's by design because the leadership in the House and the Senate wants them in a bubble. In fact, you know, I was told by a conservative member of the House last year that the Speaker of the House, David Ralston, works really, really hard to make sure that the conservatives are never in the same room together because he's afraid that they will collaborate like they did on the resolution to get rid of him that they're trying to get signatures for. And so they work very, very hard to keep everybody separated and only get their information from the leadership in the House and the Senate. And they make very hard. They work very hard to make sure they can't get a hold of you. So when you're calling the state legislature when there's an issue and the phone lines go down, that matters because it rarely happens. And you may not be able to get through to your state senator or your state house member, but you get to their office. Now, the other really cool thing about this system that I've got, and by the way, I pay for this out of my own pocket. Um, my, my, my show in Atlanta doesn't pay for it. This show does not pay for it. I pay for the system out of my own pocket. It's about, it just went up on me. It's like 800 bucks a month. And I pay for it out of my own pocket because I want you to be able to contact your member of Congress or your state legislature, in some cases, a mayor or a city council, depending on the issue, anywhere in the nation when there's an issue and I think conservative activists need to be involved, that's what I do. I, I want to be able to help you. I just I don't want to just make you laugh. I don't want to entertain you. I don't want to give you the news. I want you to be able to get involved. There is no sense in life if you yelling at the radio because they're doing something stupid or, or writing an angry letter when, by God, I can empower you to pick up the phone and tell them vote for this or don't vote for this. And by the way, I'm your constituent and I will make your life a living hell if you don't do what I want to do, what you want you to do. Now, some people don't like it when I put it that bluntly. But the fact of the matter is these people in Atlanta work for you. And when they get up there in the House and the Senate by design, the leadership tries to make them think they work for the Speaker or work for the Senate President Pro Tem. Not Jeff Duncan. A lot of these senators, you know, they, they, Jeff Duncan came from the House, and the House is the enemy. The Democrats are the opposition. The House is the enemy. So here comes an enemy from the House who gets elected to, to the state Senate President and or Lieutenant Governor, and, and some of these guys want to marginalize him. Y'all have the power to take action and you're going to need it this year. You're going to need it this year because, particularly in the House, David Ralston understands 
that he's got to work with the Democrats to preserve power. There are 10 Republicans who have signed on to a resolution calling for David Ralston's ouster. If the Republicans get five more, well, that's the difference between the majority Republican and majority Democrat House. So David Ralston has to placate the House Democrats to stay in power. David Ralston behind the scenes is going to do his best to kill any conservative legislation that House Democrats oppose that he can't use to make himself look good. And there's going to be plenty. There's going to be school choice and school reform. There's going to be tax cuts. There's going to be reforms to the film tax credit. And David Ralston is going to scuttle as many of these things as possible because he's got to depend on the Democrats to preserve his power, not the Republicans. You get five more Republicans and suddenly the Democrats own David Ralston. And so what you have to do is you got to be willing to pick up the phone and you got to willing, be willing to take action. And we're going to talk about the, the, the film tax credit because there's more. The, there's more of the audit has been released and it's really bad. And I support the film tax credit, but it's really bad and, and we need to talk about it. You need to get educated on this issue because it's going to be a dominating issue in the legislature, I suspect. I need to get Lindsey Tippins to come on the show and talk to us about it. He, he's the, the guy who really raised the issue. We've now got the audit. We've got two reports that have come out. All of them say the, the film tax credit actually doesn't stimulate the economy as much as its proponents say. Uh, there's going to have to be some reform to a program that is now almost a, a billion-dollar program. And the speaker's going to want to scuttle it, but that's not just it. It's school choice, school choice. They, they, he's going to work to kill school choice. They're going to work to kill conservative legislation. They're going to work. The, the House leaders, by the way, they don't. The governor wants some some gun liberalization laws. The governor wants to make it easy for you to get concealed carry permits. The governor wants to make it uh, wants to actually put in some laws that would per, make it more difficult if the Democrats ever took back the House or the Senate. Wants to put in some laws that would make it more difficult for them to, in the future, restrict gun rights through executive action. And the 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 speaker doesn't want that to pass. He doesn't want the gun rights legislation to pass. But the speaker can't stop a lot of stuff if you are calling your member of the legislature and yelling at them. Even some of the Democrats get scared when you call the legislature and you flood the phone lines. And I can make it easy for you. And I can give you the information. I can send you the email. I can send you the text message and tell you take action. Uh, but only you can take the action. And I'm going to make it as easy for you as possible. You will start to see it in the next couple of weeks. You will begin to see the action. You will begin to see uh, the power in numbers of this listener audience. It's one reason I wanted this radio show. And I wanted to spread from north to south, east to west in the state of Georgia. So every conservative of the state will have three hours where the, the governor, the lieutenant governor, the senator, the congressman can come on here and reach every corner of the state of Georgia without having to go fight for, for access against the hostile media at Georgia Public Broadcasting or or the AJC or any newspaper. They can come here and they can go straight to conservatives across the state, one-stop shop. The president, the vice president of both said they want to come on as the campaign trail starts to heat up in Georgia, one-stop shop. Come here and reach every conservative of the state. But the main reason I want to do it is because I know the power of mobilizing conservatives to pressure our state legislature to hold the line on conservative legislation. And I can give you all the news. I can give you all the facts. I can tell you why it's a good idea. I can tell you why it's a bad idea, but I can't call them all. You can. You all together have the power to be the activists to make sure that our Republicans in the state legislature don't go wobbly. 
but you got to start by becoming an activist. And the easiest way I can make it possible for you to do is to text the word army to 33777. That's all you do. Text the word army to 33777. I do not sell the email list. I do not run ads on the email list. I just send you an action alert and say, our legislature is about to do something stupid. Click this link and call them right now. I make it as easy as I possibly can for you. And I can't wait for the legislature. I do it in Atlanta on my Atlanta show. But my Atlanta shows in the evening as they're going home. I cannot wait for the power of this radio program's listeners from 9 to noon statewide to be able to fire up and say, you know what, let's go blow this up in the state legislature and let them know conservatives are paying attention. You pay attention and you get engaged. We're going to beat them every time. The squishes, we will beat them. News and in-depth analysis from Eric Erickson, live five days a week and always online at theresurgent.com. I promise I'll, I'll get out. I'll get out the cake recipe. I, I promise. Um, I, in fact, when we get to the top of the hour break, I, I will get it ready to go. I will not go take my bathroom break. Instead, I will send you the pound cake recipe. Uh, just text recipe to three three seven 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 if you want. If you've already done it, you don't have to. You don't have to text again. I'll get the pound cake recipe to you. I'm, but right now we've got breaking news. This is this is happening right now. Uh, this uh, is previously announced Treasury. by the president. We are announcing additional sanctions against the Iranian regime as a result of the attack on U.S. and allied troops. First, the president is issuing an executive order authorizing the imposition of additional sanctions against any individual owning, operating, trading with, or assisting sectors of the Iranian economy, including construction, manufacturing, textiles, and mining. And let me be clear, these will be both primary and secondary sanctions. The EO also allows us to designate other sectors in the future as Secretary Pompeo and me think is appropriate. Second, we are announcing 17 specific sanctions against Iran's largest steel and iron manufacturers, set three Seychelles-based entities, and a vessel involved in the transfer of products. As a result of these actions, we will cut off billions of dollars of support to the Iranian regime, and we will continue our enforcement of other entities. Third, we are taking action against eight senior Iranian officials who advanced the regime's destabilizing activity and were involved in Tuesday's ballistic missile strike. Secretary Pompeo will comment more on this. Today's sanctions are part of our commitment to stop the Iranian regime's global terrorist activities. The president has been very clear. We will continue to apply economic sanctions until Iran stops its terrorist activities and commit that it will never have nuclear weapons. That was uh, the Secretary of Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, who just announced that uh, at the White House in the last couple of minutes. Uh, it is 57, 58 now after the hour. Uh, we do need to talk about this when we get back because some of the language he said is actually very important that you need to understand. Uh, it's not just direct but also indirect sanctions, meaning they're going to sanction businesses that have direct dealings with Iran. They're also going to sanction the businesses that have 
business with the businesses that have business with Iran, if that makes sense. So if your business has business with Iran, you're getting hit. If you're dealing with companies that are dealing with Iran, you're going to get hit as well. This is actually pretty hard line from the president right now and going after Iran's steel industry as well, which is a big deal uh, given that a lot of steel on the global market is starting to come from Iran because they essentially don't have to care about the environment and regulations there in the way we do. We'll explore that and more local news when we come back right here on The Eric Erickson Show. Well, I started the morning by saying I was doing a different show than the one I'm doing and then giving out my cell phone number to callers. <laughs> Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, this is The Eric Erickson Show, and the actual phone number, if you want to call in, is 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. If you haven't done so, please text the word... Uh, the word army to three, three, seven, 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 uh, three, three, seven, seven, seven is the number. And the word is army because as the legislature begins to meet next week, uh, you as a conservative activist are going to need to find an easy way to reach out to your member of the legislature and tell them to do or not do something. And, um, well, we need your help and and you need to help yourself and you need to be able to take action and i'm going to make it re- you if if you if you've never heard me in the evening in atlanta you don't know the system that i have and what it's capable of and we, <laughs> we will have a legislature that soon gets used to a fully operational uh activist center here uh as you around the state engage with them and tell them to take positions or not take positions on on particular legislation and, and now having an ability you know i i found uh, take for example the speaker of the house situation uh, if you if you weren't here yesterday the the speaker of the house uh, is in the midst of scandal. There is a resolution uh, winding its way through the state house to try to get rid of him. Only ten Republicans have been brave enough to sign on to it. They need five more Republicans to sign on to it. And what the speaker did is he got a law changed. The law that the speaker changed in Georgia was a law that said if you're in the state legislature for a few weeks after the legislature, during the legislature, and for a few weeks thereafter. You, as a lawyer, cannot be compelled to go to court if you're in the state legislature. The Speaker of the House sat on the committee and, and right before he became Speaker and had it redrafted and, and said that if you're the Speaker of the House, you never have to go to court. And then the Speaker started getting clients, uh, one of whom admitted to paying the Speaker $20,000 in a criminal case. The man was accused of savagely beating up his girlfriend, and he paid the Speaker $20,000. And the speaker kept his case from ever going to court until that man told the AJC he paid the speaker $20,000 and was worth every penny because he kept the case from going to the court. The speaker fired him for being an idiot uh, and and bragging about it, but uh, for years had kept the case from going to court. There was another uh, girl who, a traveling pastor, stayed at her parents' home. The pastor raped the girl. They didn't even know it had happened until she tried to commit suicide. They saw their church turn on them because they accused this traveling pastor of of raping their daughter. That case went on for over six years, the girl in therapy having to hang on to what happened to her. And it wasn't until the AJC exposed that this is what the speaker was doing. The guy hired the speaker, and the speaker kept the case from ever going to trial. And ultimately, uh, they settled the case this past summer, and the judge did not sentence the man to to jail. He just sent him back to Ohio. 
no jail time for raping this child. The guy was represented by the speaker. By the way, do you know that judge? I hear that judge now wants to run for the state house, no doubt to support the speaker. Uh, he wants to run against Matt Gertler, I think I'm told, uh, up in North Georgia. The speaker hates Matt Gertler because Matt Gertler is a conservative who always votes against the speaker. Yeah, I'm told that the judge who didn't sentence the the the, the rapey pastor to jail uh, is now wants to run against him. Um, y'all, this is a big deal. It actually is a big deal. It, it actually you, you actually do need to be engaged in this stuff. And House Republicans really do need to stand up and take responsibility and ownership of the issue. And now the speaker's hired a guy to try to help them hold on to the House. He's hired a guy who got indicted in Alabama in a, a federal investigation over gambling corruption in the state legislature. You're crazy if you don't think the Democrats are going to capitalize on this stuff. And so you need to be engaged, you need to be active, and and I'm going to make it easy for you, but you got to text the word ARMY to 33777. For those of you, I, I actually, I'm seeing an email come through from someone who says, I, I my phone doesn't text. I will, I will try to find ways to get those of you who can't send a text to be able to subscribe. Um, but we're going to have some fights in the legislature. I, I, I do want to move on from there though. I mean, I could spend all day talking about the legislature and when it, when it starts to meet, we will spend a lot of time there. We have other news we do need to talk about. Uh, I want to replay you, uh, this audio, uh, it happened a short time ago. The, uh, the treasury secretary, Steve Mnuchin, has uh, announced that there will be sanctions placed on Iraq or on Iran. This happened about 15 minutes ago. Uh, we need to start there because their press conference continued. I've got the audio from it. Um, man, we're kind of bleeding edge here, aren't we? Let, let's let's play some of this. Uh, uh, as previously Secretary. announced by the president, we are announcing additional sanctions against the Iranian regime as a result of the attack on U.S. and allied troops. First, the president is issuing an executive order authorizing the imposition of additional sanctions against any individual owning, operating, trading with, or assisting sectors of the Iranian economy, including construction, manufacturing, textiles, and mining. And let me be clear, these will be both primary and secondary sanctions. The EO also allows us to designate other sectors in the future as Secretary Pompeo and me think is appropriate. Second, we are announcing 17 specific sanctions against Iran's largest steel and iron manufacturers, set three Seychelles-based entities, and a vessel involved in the transfer of products. As a result of these actions, we will cut off billions of dollars of support to the Iranian regime, and we will continue our enforcement of other entities. Third, we are taking action against eight senior Iranian officials who advanced the regime's destabilizing activity and were involved in Tuesday's ballistic missile strike. Secretary Pompeo will comment more on this. Today's sanctions are part of our commitment to stop the Iranian regime's global terrorist activities. The president has been very clear. We will continue to apply economic sanctions until Iran stops its terrorist activities and commit that it will never have nuclear weapons. 
That was uh, Secretary Pompeo, but there is more here. Uh, This is uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, talking to Jonathan Carl. Mr. Secretary, Secretary Pompeo, do you believe that the Iranians shot down the Ukrainian International Airways uh, plane? And if the Iranians shot that plane down, will there be consequences? Uh, we, We do believe that it's likely that that plane was shot down by an Iranian missile. Uh, we are we're going to let uh, the investigation play out before we make a final determination. It's important that we get to the bottom of it. Uh, I've been on the phone. I was on the phone with President Zelensky uh, just before I came here. I was on the phone with my Canadian counterpart. Uh, they were working to get their resources on the ground to conduct that thorough investigation. We'll learn more about what happened to that aircraft. Uh, and when we get the results of that investigation, I am confident we, we and the world will take appropriate actions in response. That was Mike Pompeo speaking at the same press conference. Um, there is a little more out there. Uh, and this is uh, Mike Pompeo as well on what is imminent. What is your definition of imminent? This was going to happen. And American lives were at risk. And we would have been culpably negligent, as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said, we would have been culpably negligent had we not recommended to the president that he take this action in Qasem Soleimani. He made the right call, and America is safer as a result of that. You know, it, it is interesting that there has been pushback here on the issue of what is imminent, uh, culpability and what is imminent, and uh, wow. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff coming out, uh, being very aggressive and pushing very hard on this particular issue, saying that we would have been negligent. Let me play one more here from the uh, Secretary of Treasury. Again, this is the press conference at the White House. They're in the White House briefing room. This happened in the last 15 minutes, trying to bring you guys up to speed on these headlines. Last time that you both uh, joined us in this room, it was back in September. You were announcing additional sanctions, including on the trips force. And Secretary Mnuchin, at that point, you said, I think we've done more sanctions on Iran than anybody, and it's absolutely working. Since then, we've seen an escalation in violence from Iran, shooting down the drone, attacking the embassy, a contractor who was killed, U.S. troops uh, that were wounded. How are sanctions uh, keeping the United States, economic sanctions, keeping the United States, United States interests? more secure. I I think we have a hundred percent confidence and we are consistent in our view that the economic sanctions are working, that if we didn't have these sanctions in place, literally Iran would have tens of billions of dollars. They would be using that for terrorist activities throughout the region and to enable them to do more bad things. And there's no question by cutting off the economics to the regime, we, we are having an impact. And as the president has said, uh, the fact that the Obama administration turned over $150 billion to the regime, we think we wouldn't be in this situation had that not been the case. May I just, just add, it's important to uh, keep in mind what's taking place in Iran today. This country's never been in the place that it is today. Big, challenging problems. Their budget, they're going to fail by tens of billions of dollars of achieving their revenue for this year. They've got real challenges in figuring out how to make difficult decisions. Do you underwrite Hezbollah? Do you pick Hamas? Do you underwrite the Shia militias in Iraq? Or do you allow your people to have the opportunity to live the life they want and grow your economy? Those are the difficult choices that the regime is facing. 
and you can see the protests, protests that we expect will continue, that will demand from the Iranian regime that they begin to treat the Iranian people in the way that they so richly deserve. And this administration will continue to support those efforts as well. You know, he's right there. Uh, This actually is a good strategic play by the administration. Uh, What they're essentially doing is uh, they're reversing the rest of the Iran deal by imposing these sanctions on the Iranian steel industry. You see, there are already sanctions on Iranian oil. So now Iran offset those sanctions by building up its steel industry. The Secretary of Treasury this morning is announcing we're going to start imposing additional sanctions on the steel industry, but it's not just on the steel industry in Iran. We're actually going to sanction companies that have business with the companies that are dealing with Iran. So we're doing direct sanctions and indirect sanctions because there are a number of companies around the world, including a number of banks. I believe uh, one of the the big German, but was a Deutsche Bank. I can't remember which one uh, was found to be dealing with Iran under the table. And so we're going to go after companies like that and the ones who do business with those companies as well. And that's actually pretty overarching and pretty expansive. And the reason we're doing this is it exactly goes to what Mike Pompeo was saying. We know that Iran fiscally is in very hard time. And we we know that Iran is having to pay to maintain these militias. We know that the president has been working very hard to undermine Hezbollah in ways that the Obama administration stopped doing because they didn't want to hurt Iran. So the president economically has launched a multi-pronged attack against the Iranians, the Iranian economic interests, and Iranian allies. The Iranians are going to have to decide with a limited budget and a deficit and the inability on the open market now to get credit because of American sanctions. How are they going to survive? Are they going to take care of their people or are they going to take care of their terrorist allies? And the president's making it very hard for them. Uh, it, it, it does not matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican. This, this is an issue of our national security, and it's one where there's actually a lot of wisdom in what the American administration is doing. Uh, multi-pronged, targeted sanctions at the regime and the, business, and the businesses who do business with the regime. Uh, and those who do business with the businesses who do business with the regime, if, that, if you can follow that chain there, direct and indirect sanctions, uh, going after the steel industry, all the areas of the economy that Obama decided not to touch, this president is now saying he is going to touch, uh, to begin to cripple and starve the Iranian regime. Now, the Iranian regime, we know by habit, is going to cripple and starve its people. They are, but the people are beginning. There are lots of uprisings in Iran. You, you heard Chris Matthews this morning. I, I played you the audio if you were here earlier talking about uh, getting Soleimani was like getting uh, Elvis or getting Princess Diana. Princess Diana Dine or Elvis Dine, hugely popular among the Iranian people. Actually, there are a lot of Iranian people who do not like the guy, but they're not allowed to dance and march in the streets. It is amazing to me how the American media has been so willing to rush headlong into embracing Iranian propaganda, all because Orange Man bad, but that's what they've done. And the the president doesn't care. (laughs) The honey badger of politics, I guess you could call him. He he doesn't care. He's going to do it. And uh, he's done it in a very good way, and he should be commended. And he's clearly getting good advice. But one more thing. Before I go to break here, one more thing 
to pay attention to what Mike Pompeo said when a reporter, Caitlin Collins from CNN, asked him what his definition of imminent was. Uh, and he said what the Joint Chiefs of Staff have said. They had enough intelligence to know that something was coming and it would cause mass casualties among American forces and we would have been culpably negligent to not stop it and Kileen Soleimani stopped it. We don't know what it was. We don't know what the intelligence was. But you have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who is not political saying this needed to happen. You have the director of the CIA who is not political saying this needed to happen. You can cast aspersions on Pompeo for being a political hack. You can cast aspersions on the Secretary of Treasury for doing that. But you really want to do it to the CIA director and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs when for three years you've been saying the president should listen to these people and he listened to them and he did what they wanted and now suddenly they're bad. That's on you. That's actually not on the president. Honest news and conservative views. Never separated from the truth. It's the Eric Erickson Show. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Now, I, listen, I realize you, you can't actually call in because my call screener went hog hunting down in South Georgia, North Florida. Um, what a life. I can't even get a hold of him. There's no cell service where he is. Um, so, one, I got voicemail on the show. If you if you want to call a voicemail, I'm, I'm happy to play it. Uh, but two, and more importantly, I just, I, the show is still relatively new, and you got to get used to calling this phone number. I can tell you Rush Limbaugh's phone number off the top of my head uh, from when I filled in for him, but uh, you got you to gotta remember this one. Now, everyone who's listening to this program, unless you're listening online, you're in Georgia. Every radio station we're on is in Georgia, and this is not in Georgia, and I I, I got to... Um, I still gotta. I gotta talk about this one because I am a native of Louisiana. Uh, I was born in Louisiana. I was raised in Dubai. I finished high school in Louisiana. I suffered through the Edwin Edwards David Duke race uh, and decided I needed to get out of that state. And came to Georgia in 1993 and went to Mercer University in Macon. Uh, stayed in Macon and went to the Walter F. George School of Law of Mercer University, which they refuse now to call it that because uh, they're woke. Um, but the Walter F. George School of Law at Mercer University is, I went there, I practiced law in Macon, uh, worked for CNN, worked for Fox, did it all out of my house in Macon. I got a TV and a radio studio in my house and still live in Macon. I'm broadcasting this program from Macon and, and I will never move back to Louisiana, I'm sure. But I do pay attention to Louisiana politics. Bobby Jindal was a, a good friend. And it is, this is notable. If you're just a, if you're a political junkie like I am, this is actually notable news. There has been a long in elected office in Louisiana since 1918. Uh, there was Huey Long. There was Earl Long. There was Russell Long. Uh, there have always been Longs. Uh, there's been Gillis Long. There's been Speedy Long. There's been Jimmy Long. Uh, when, when, um, when Huey P. Long got elected in 1918, the Longs became a dynasty in Louisiana politics, and there has never not been a member of the Long family in elected office. And Gerald Long uh, from Natchitoches, Louisiana, has decided to retire from the state legislature, and he will be the last Long to serve a hundred-year dynasty of the Long family coming to an end in Louisiana. Uh, that's actually remarkable that one family in one state has served in politics that long, and now it's all coming to an end. All right, I, I'm I'm going to make it up to all of you, 
at the top of the hour. Uh, I'm going to send the pound cake recipe and the gumbo recipe too. So you can have them all. Uh, gumbo and pound cake. Uh, if you want it, text the word recipe to 33777 by the top of the hour. Now, if you text it later than that, if you're listening to me on delay, it's 11.35 a.m., about to be 11.36 a.m. here in Macon, where I'm broadcasting. If you hear me on delay, you hear me on repeat somewhere, anytime, it doesn't matter. If you text the word recipe to 33777 and you, you sign up for the list, what happens is you'll get an email back, or you'll get a text back saying what's your email address. It'll sign you up, and you will get an email and it'll say, never fear, here's all the recipes Eric sent out, including the latest one, and, and you'll get the pound cake and the gumbo recipe whenever you hear it later. But I'm not sending this until I get off the radio at noon, so you got to stick around for a little bit. Now, I have things I've wanted to talk about that I have had in my show notes all week to talk about, and I haven't been able to talk about them because there's been so much breaking news. And one of the things that I want to talk about is CNN has settled the Covington Catholic lawsuit. And this by now, it's old. I mean, we've moved on to Megxit, Meghan Markle and Harry uh, fleeing the fleeing the Great Britain. Um, she's gone back to Canada and he's about to join her. And uh, it, it, the, the, you know why we're talking about that? By the way, I'm pointing at my camera. I'm shaking my finger at my camera. For those of you watching the long stream, do you know why we're talking about this? We're talking about it because Donald Trump had a really good week and the press can't talk about that. So we got to talk about the British royal family instead. That's exactly why we're talking about it. Who, who cares? We fought a revolution and dumped tea into a harbor so we did not have to care about the royal family. I actually am a big fan of the royal family. Uh, I do pay attention to it, but but probably not as much as the media would prefer me to talk about it when everything's going well. I just, it's, it's crazy in any event. So CNN settles this lawsuit. Do you know why they settled it? And you know, I, I've seen some people say, this isn't true. I was a lawyer. Let me explain the process. Typically what happens is you file a lawsuit, you file, it's called a complaint. The other side has 30 days to respond to you with what's called an answer. And then you can go and do something called discovery. And discovery is where both sides, you have requests for production of documents and you have interrogatories and you have depositions. What CNN did is, is the Covington Catholic high school student, uh, Nick Sandman filed a lawsuit against them and CNN filed its answer and filed a motion to dismiss the case said that essentially Nick Sandman was a public figure, and because he was a public figure, there was a higher standard, and based on the pleadings, he didn't meet the standards, and on and on and on. Uh, why was Nick Sandman a public figure who you had never heard of until the media made him a public figure? Well, the media made him a public figure. And if the media makes you a public figure and lies about you in the process of making you a public figure, well, you you got a lawsuit. You can sue him. So he did. And... CNN had a had a if I recall the the lower court threw the case out and Sandman appealed and the appellate court said no actually this is uh th this is actually a lawsuit that's legit because he wasn't a notable person he he wasn't a a person uh of of note he wasn't a celebrity the only reason people know who he is is because the media slandered him so this lawsuit can go forward so CNN has settled the lawsuit now. 
The reason CNN settled the lawsuit is the discovery process. They hadn't gotten to the discovery process yet. Now, what is the discovery process? Let, let me explain to you the way a discovery process works. So again, I was a lawyer. Wasn't a great lawyer. I hated being a lawyer. Do you know why I hated being a lawyer? Just as a random aside, there's this thing. When, when you're a lawyer, there's this thing that you interact with on a daily basis called a client. And clients tend to be people who have a sense of, of self-righteousness. They've been aggrieved in some way, and by God, they need a solution. Now, I love the clients who – I love business law. If I could have just done transactional law in Macon, I probably would have. You need your business started, whatnot. I love doing contracts. I was a transactional lawyer. I loved it. The problem is uh, being in Macon, you got a law school. There are a billion lawyers. Um, you gotta you got to kill what you eat, and so you got to do all sorts of stuff. You can't really specialize as much, and I wasn't going to work in Atlanta. My wife didn't want to move to the big city, so we occasionally would come into contact with clients, and some had really legitimate problems, and, and I had some amazing cases. I got some amazing stories from, from a case, uh, from, from different cases, but I, I really I hated dealing with the people who came in, and their solution was so obvious, but they were so mad at the other side, they just couldn't come to a solution, and and if I could have just written wills and estates and, and uh, LLC operating agreements and whatnot, I'd still be a lawyer in any event. So in in litigation, you, you, you file your complaint, 30 days you get an answer, and then you go into a discovery period. You have interrogatories, requests for production of documents, and depositions. Now, typically what happens is you have have basic interrogatories the courts require you to file. Essentially, you know in a lawsuit, you're going to ask the same questions of each side to begin with. And so courts now, by and large, require you to file. Uh, once you get into discovery, you file the basics of name every single person you know of who has any information that could shed light on this lawsuit. One. Then number two, name uh, all the documents you have in your possession Name how to contact all the people you've named, all those sorts of things. Those are the interrogatories. Then you get the request for production of documents. The request for production of documents are name all the documents or provide all the documents you reference in your interrogatories. Provide all the uh, provide your bank account information if it's relevant or provide your medical bills if it's referenced, all of that sort of stuff. So you get the request for production of documents, you get the interrogatories. And then based on the interrogatories and the request for production documents, you do depositions and you send a request to depose. You you oppose the person. You, if it's CNN, they're going to depose Nick Salmon. If it's Nick Salmon, he's going to depose anyone who CNN listed in the interrogatories as having knowledge of the news story CNN did. And he's going to get the request for production documents. They sent email requests uh, and direct message requests and Slack channel requests. If you don't know what Slack is, Slack is essentially a group messaging app uh, that corporations now use a lot of in newsrooms to communicate within an entire news pool. So they sent uh, notices to CNN, preserve everything. We're filing a lawsuit, preserve everything. So you're not allowed to delete your emails, your cell phone records, your voicemail records, your Slack channels, uh, your direct messages on Twitter, any of that. They got to, and the lawyers have to search top to bottom and they got to provide it all to Nick Sandman. And so if you've got CNN reporters and producers in the background saying, did you see what this little SOB Trump humping supporter did to this poor man? He's a victim. We need to blow this up and we need to destroy this kid and all this. If he's got, if the CNN's lawyers found stuff like that, when they were compiling all the documents to give to Nick Sandman's lawyer, then they're like, oh, gosh, we've got to settle. Let me tell you, uh, in fact, this is actually my very first case. I, I talked about is saying bad things about clients. This is actually, he was a great guy. I had a client who was an illegal alien. 
This is actually my very first client of my own at my law firm. He came in the door. He was referred to uh, someone. That person no longer worked at the law firm. I needed to build a client base. They gave him to me. His name was uh, Alexandro, Alejandro. He was from uh, Mexico. And he was a hardworking guy. His wife was an American citizen, and he had essentially walked from Mexico to Georgia. And he worked in fields. He was a brilliant mechanic. He was just, he was a good, good guy. But he was an illegal alien. And he and his wife saved up money. They were renting basically a shack. And he saved up his money. And they rented a double, or they bought a double-wide motorhome. They used his wife because she was an American citizen. They bought this mobile home, double-wide trailer, and it had all new appliances in it. They, they bought it from a, a, a nationally known seller of trailers. And it had a new refrigerator. It had a new oven. It had new washer and dryer, new stove. And they bought it, and when they got the trailer delivered, the cabinets had cracks. The, di- the washer and dryer weren't there. The dishwasher, the refrigerator, and the stove were all used. Uh, they weren't the new ones that they were promised. And, and they had been promised all this stuff. And he went. They had, they had saved up. I want to say, gosh, they had saved up $50,000 to get this thing. And they knew they were getting a good deal on it. But when they got the actual thing... Uh, it was it was not good. It wasn't what he was promised. So they came to me to file a lawsuit, and one of the things he said is he went back to this. I, I'm, I'm I don't want to name this company, but you would all know it. They went to this company, and the manager of the local place laughed in his face, told him there was nothing he could do about it. That if he tried to do anything about it, they knew he was illegal. They would have him deported because he was nothing more than an effing racial slur against Hispanic people. And I didn't believe him. It sounded, I mean, who would do that? Who in their right mind would do that? Who would tell someone who showed up, they, they, they've been, been screwed out of what they were promised, and you laugh in their face, say, if you complain, I'm going to get you deported because you're nothing more than, a, than an effing racial slur. But you know what? He was my client, and I was obligated to help him. And I, I mean, I was, I was really good at writing angry letters. My wife could tell when I had a good day because I would write angry letters. And man, I wrote an angry letter, and I sent this, sent it to him, and I said, "You preserve all the documents that you've got on this. You preserve the bill of sale." My client, Alejandro Suarto, and and his wife, they they bought this, and and this is what they were promised, and this is what they got, and it's not what they were promised, and they got the pictures of what they were promised, and they got the pictures of of what was delivered and by the way the manager did this and he said this that he was going to deport my client and he was going and he called him a racial slur and put the f-bomb in front of it well sent off the letter and i thought man i'm gonna get into litigation this guy actually is an illegal alien he's not gonna have the money he sunk it all into a trailer he's not gonna be able to pay me i don't want a double wide trailer as payment what am i gonna do i sent off that letter It was not 15 days later that the lawyer for the mobile home company called me 
and said, we would like to settle the case. And I said, you would. And she says, she's a very nice lady. And she says, yes, we would. She says, we would like to settle the case. Does your client want his money back or does he want a new trailer? He can keep the trailer he's got and get his money back. And I suggest that's the best deal. And I was like, do what? You're going to let him keep the trailer he paid $50,000 for and you're going to give him back the $50,000. So he essentially gets a free trailer and he can go buy everything he wants and fix up the trailer. She says, yes. And I, I said, okay. Um, I will confirm with my client, um, but let's presume it's going to be, he wants to keep it and get the 50,000 back. And she says, she assumed that would be what he wanted. And then I said, ma'am, can I ask you a question? And she says, yes. I said, and this is attorney to attorney. I said, this is my very first case. I only passed the bar exam three months ago. And she falls up, falls out laughing. And I said, can, can, why are you settling like this? Cause I just assumed that, that this is, this was all made up. And she says, well, she's attorney to attorney. I said, yes, attorney to attorney. <laughs> she says, I got your letter and I didn't believe it. And I assumed we would fight it out. And I called the manager of the, of our local dealer and asked him if he knew anything about it. And the first words out of his mouth are, oh, yeah, I remember that effing blankety blank. <laughs> she said, I immediately knew you were telling the truth. <laughs> so that's what happens in the discovery process. When you start digging into stuff, you start uncovering stuff. So, so Sandman, uh, CNN's like, oh, we're going to now we don't know what CNN settling for. We have no idea what the amount is, but CNN is settling with Sandman because the court has decided that the case can go forward. And in saying the case can go forward, they have to get into the discovery process. And I guarantee you CNN got into the discovery process and found the email chains of a bunch of little progressive producers at CNN saying, let's destroy destroy this kid. Let's make him famous and ruin his life. I guarantee you that's what they found. Now I realize it is all speculation on my part, but you lose that case and say, we don't want to get into the discovery process because they've preserved all the documents and the lawyers have already seen what those documents are. They did not want that case getting into discovery. They did not want to send information to Nick Salmon's lawyer and have them send it out to conservative media and start lighting CNN on fire because CNN has gone down the road of being an Obama surrogacy. You've got Valerie Jarrett's daughter as a morning anchor. You've got Jim Scudo, who was a, a national security uh, State Department guy in the Obama administration. He's an anchor. You've got uh, James Clapper, who's now their national security analyst. He was an Obama guy. You got all these Obama people who now work at CNN. It is very clear that Jeff Zucker has decided to become uh, MSNBC light instead of being the objective news organization that I worked for and dearly love. And uh, they do not want to get into the discovery process with Nick Salmon, so they have settled the case. You never know what is going to come in discovery. You know, I had another case where I had a lady who, she was an African-American lady. Uh, her boyfriend was white. She got pregnant, and she sued. The, so this is a major Fortune 500 company in the United States of America. And she came to me and, and my boss. She was actually my boss's client. And uh, she was suing because she went back from maternity leave. She had been pregnant. Her, her, her boyfriend actually left her, so she was a single mom. And she accused the company 
of saying that she had a zebra child because she was black and her her boyfriend was white and they had a child. And we filed a lawsuit. And do you know we actually found the company newsletter where they welcomed her back to work and congratulated her on her zebra child? It, don't tell me racism doesn't exist in the South. Because that, that really happened. That would have been 2001, 2002. Both of these cases were early 2000s. Both of these cases. And that was the discovery process. Was the discovery process. And the news media that is losing these cases, Sam, and they don't want to go through that because who knows? And listen, let, let, let's acknowledge this Fortune 500 company that we sued. It's a good company. You would know it. and You do business with it on a regular basis. They were good people, but there was one idiot in that company that was the, the turd in the punch bowl for that company. And, and they had to pay a whole lot of money to my client. Because he had done that to her. That racist had done that to my client. And same with the mobile home company. They were out of $50,000 and a trailer because of one racist in the company. Uh, It can be three little idiot progressive producers at CNN who on a Slack channel or an email chain or direct messaging even or text messaging blew up Nick Sandman and disparaged him. And that helped shape CNN's coverage. And the lawyers knew it. And they knew once they got into the discovery process, they had to settle. And so they did. And they were smart to do it. Um, and I realized the story is now a week old, but I've been waiting for a week to get the story. And, and finally, we get to Friday and stuff has settled down. And I can talk to you about it. And what's so interesting here, let me g- head to commercial on this point. CNN demands transparency from everyone else but doesn't want to be transparent on what they settled. Politics, news, religion. Eric Erickson talks about all the things you're not supposed to talk about. Every weekday. And some cooking, too. Do y'all know, um, if you're watching on the live stream, I've actually figured out why my live stream has been so screwed up this week. It is a particular news website. If I have this particular news website, it's it's uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution here in Georgia. If I have this particular news website open, it consumes so many resources on my computer and starts to take up so much bandwidth that it, it crashes my live stream. And I didn't realize I had behind a bunch of windows I have open. There was an uh, AJC uh, website open and that caused the whole live stream to go kablooey. So my apologies to everybody on the live stream where it finally tanked out on us. I thought I had managed to close all the windows, but clearly I had not. Now the other story, and it's going to take a while to adjust. So you may still have a, a messy live stream here. The other story that I want to talk about, I, I was going to talk about this yesterday. It came out yesterday. Uh, we can have a laugh at the end of the show before we all head off and for lunch uh, and by the way, I just sent out the pound cake and gumbo recipe just now. You can still get it. Text the word recipe to 33777 if you want it. Text ARMY to 33777 if you want to be a political activist this year as the Georgia legislature convenes. I'll keep you posted on stuff. But uh, so the Obama administration, back after 2009, decided to put uh, signs up at Glacier National Park in Montana. And the sign said that these glaciers will be gone by 2020 because of climate change. Now, had Donald Trump done something like that to suggest that we needed his agenda passed in Congress, they would have accused him of hijacking uh, the national parks for political purposes. But they never did that to Barack Obama because the media agreed with his climate change argument. So putting up signs saying we got to do something real on climate change or else these glaciers are going to be gone, Barack Obama says so, uh, was no big deal 
deal to the media. The media was perfectly happy, perfectly happy for him to do that. Well, it's 2020 and the glaciers are not gone. So they have decided uh, to take down the signs. They're actually going to re-edit the signs uh, so that they're still going to do something and and let people know we got to raise awareness on climate change because the glaciers are melting. But I actually had a caller call me yesterday on my evening show when I talked about this story finally, and he said, you know, they've got all sorts of documents. You go to Glacier National Park and you go into a little museum there. I've never been. Uh, this is an older guy who says he's been up there, and they document how the glaciers have been receding there since the 1700s, after the Little Ice Age. They've all been receding, and they've just kept receding. So it turns out not to be something new. And yet, uh, the media makes it a big deal. But yep, that's right. Barack Obama made him put up signs that said these glaciers are going to melt if we don't enact meaningful climate change solutions. They're going to be gone by 2020. Well, guess what? It's 2020, and they ain't gone, so the signs have to come down. But you know the world is going to end in 10 years because they say so.